was not caught, though many tried. I'll live among you, well disguised. It's Monday. Uh, the show aired last night at 9, and everyone is talking about how they jumped the shark last night. I'm about to sit down to watch it. I have no idea what to feel. At this point, I might just enjoy sitting here in Mystery Science theatering the hell out of this show for the sake of, you know, its ridiculousness and maybe finding some pleasure in uh, watching the show. Not not finding pleasure in doing the show with you, because I enjoy talking to you every week. But some pleasure in actually watching uh, True Detective Season 2 right now. Uh, that's going to be a little hard to find. Who knows? Maybe I'll love this episode, but maybe not for the reasons they intended. Signing off. I'm excited to hear what you think. So I just finished the episode, and um, we better get ready for a detective roll call. Hamilton, Mose, Melton, and wait, there's only three. Uh, it still works. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm so excited for tonight's episode that we're going to record soon. Um, we got a wonderful, wonderful tape in from uh, very special agents. T.J. Luoma uh, will include an abridged version of that in uh, the tapes for this week, but we'll put a link to his entire beautiful, incredible uh, 12-minute rant about this episode uh, in the show notes so you can seek that out on your own. It hits all the points. I'm excited to delve even deeper tonight with uh, you and uh, special agent Melton, but... Um, Either way, I this okay. I'll save it for the show. Send this tape on to you so you can hear it before the show and have a great night uh, while you still can. I'll see you soon. Hi, this is very special agent T.J. Luoma, and I'm afraid I might have to turn in my badge after this episode. I've been trying. I've been really, really trying, but this. I think this episode may have broken me. I don't know where to begin. There's just so much. So we hit this episode with Frank and Ray sitting at a kitchen table having their Han Solo versus Greedo moment. And they're going back and forth with these very serious lines. You gave me the name. You knew what I would do. I didn't know what you'd do. I'd know what I'd do. You set me up. No, I didn't. You wanted dirt on me. Yes, I did. But I have a sense of justice. You know that. What? Where does that even... It's disappointing. There was a good line. There was a great line in there uh, when uh, Ray says, I would have been different. And Frank replies, of all the lies people tell themselves, I bet that's the most common. Oh, that's a good line. That's a really good line. And I think it's probably true. But you know that one good line is like a chocolate chip. One tiny chocolate chip in a giant pile of poo. And it's really hard to focus on the chocolate chip. Who gave you the name? Guy, one of my guys knew. I'll find out for you. And you can be free. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't have it in you anymore. Oh, wait. Now we're going to cut to the other cliffhanger from last episode, the bloody shack in the wood. Oh, wait. Nope. Nope. Now we're back at Frank and Ray, and they're talking about Blake running girls. Oh, wait. Now Ray wants a name, and Frank says he'll get it. But wait, no. He says he'll only... Give Ray the name if Ray helps him find the hard drive. But I thought he was going to let Ray out because Ray doesn't have it in him anymore. Now Ray leaves. Why? Well, he's going to go kill the guy who raped his wife. Which makes sense because he thinks that killing the guy 
he thought raped his wife, ruined his life, and now they caught the guy on other rape charges as well. So it's definitely a good time to go kill a guy who's in prison. What? Sure. Okay. So let's jump ahead, and now we're at the prison, and Ray is talking to the guy. And, you know, I thought these conversations were recorded. I'm not a lawyer. I've never been to jail. I've never even visited anybody in jail. Uh, but I thought these... Uh, Conversations were recorded, but maybe Ray could just, you know, get it turned off with his cop buddies. He has this conversation with the guy, tells the guy that, you know, he's definitely going to kill him. First of all, you're telling the guy who's in jail that you're going to kill him if he gets out of jail, or maybe you're going to kill him if he's in jail, but you can't really do anything about it because he's in jail. And maybe you're being recorded, but maybe you aren't. So everyone thinks that Ray killed the guy who everyone thought Ray killed the guy who raped his wife. And so if this guy ends up dead later on, aren't they going to think that it was Ray who did it? And now they've got evidence, I'm sure, somewhere. Somebody saw him going to visit this guy. So this guy ends up dead later. Isn't Ray going to be, like, definite uh, suspect number one? I get that Ray isn't supposed to be a good decision maker, but this is ridiculous. And then maybe one of the worst lines in uh, this episode, uh, as Ray is leaving... Uh, the guy, the criminal says, uh, I don't even know you, man. And Ray says, you know me. You just didn't know you did. Ray loves his son, and his son is sort of meh about Ray. How many more scenes do we need? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked because now we're getting another one. We see Ray and his son and the woman who's supposed to supervise their visit. And Ray tries to interact with his son, who doesn't seem to care. Frank is holding a gun like it's the first time he's ever had a gun in his hand. It looks awkward. He's got it down, like, around his waist when they come in through the door. Frank gets his best line in the episode. There's one for the bucket list. A Mexican standoff with actual Mexicans. Oh, but now we're back to Annie. Oh, they gave her a pill, something called Pure Molly, and she takes it. But of course, you know, she's on a secret mission. She's not going to really swallow the pill. She's just going to pretend. Oh, wait, wait, now we're back to Frank. And he's home, and he's talking to Arena, and he's going to go meet with Arena. And we don't cut away this time. Now we stick with him, and oh, Arena's dead, and the Mexicans killed her, and Frank, I forget. Do we know if she has any experience with knives? Ha ha ha, I'm kidding. While Annie is off having her saxophone moment, Ray and Paul are outside playing James Bond, subduing guards, quietly and efficiently. Ray and Paul are at this huge complex that seems like some kind of gigantic castle, and yet they end up at the right window, at the right door, at just the right moment, despite never having been there before. Because what female character could possibly exist without having sexual abuse in her background? Sigh. She finds her way to the bathroom and makes herself throw up? I guess hoping that she's going to get the drugs out of her system despite the fact that i think it's probably been like 20 or 30 minutes since she took the pill again i'm no scientist, but i think it might be too late but of course it's not that easy first her date comes and finds her and he puts his hands on her and so she finally gets to use the knife and she stabs him knocks him over and kicks him in the crotch just for good measure and then another goon comes over and he tries to strangle her and she cuts him about five or six times in two seconds and he tries to choke her but he bleeds out in under a minute just like she promised would happen if anyone ever laid hands on her and then the one of the last things she says is oh i think maybe i killed somebody really you think that now your memory is a little hazy. Maybe it's because you took the drugs. <sighs> this episode frustrated me. But True Detective, I want you to understand. I'm not mad at you. I'm just very disappointed in you. Welcome back to the True Detective tape. Season 2 of True Detective has proven to be much more or less than anybody else has ever uh, 
would have ever predicted given all the hype it's gotten. But here we are with uh, episode six. I'm Special Agent Brian Hamilton, and joining me, as always, is Desk Sergeant Philip Mosellac. How's it going? It's going in this church of ruins, mm-hmm. and there's somebody else in the house. There is. Joining us in the evidence locker tonight for the very first time is Special Agent Don Melton. How's it going? Bitchin'. Absolutely. Mm, fantastic. It's kind of... <laughs> Kind of crowded and humid and sweaty in this evidence locker, i got to tell you that much. It really is. Despite all of the uh, special climate uh, control we have for the cadavers next door, it doesn't really bleed into this room, does it? No, it doesn't. Mm. Well, uh, we'll, let's jump right in. Does anybody—I feel like this uh, episode of True Detective, even though we talked a lot last week about the big tonal shift that we expected midway through the season, as True Detective tends to do— um, we talked a lot about the uh, big tonal shift last week. I feel like this week is an even bigger shift in a very different direction tonally. Does anybody have any opening statements? <laughs> because I feel like this is the week to do it. Well, after uh, after listening to or reading online several people uh, trashing True Detective uh, this season and trashing, I think it was last week's episode, which I thought last week's episode was the best one I'd seen so far mm. uh most interesting uh and then trashing this week's episode i just wanted to tell everybody you know about true detective until all eight episodes are out everybody really needs to calm the fuck down we need to see where <laughs> we need to see coming. where well you knew that one was going to come from me right sure so that's, i'm ready so Yes. Oh, well, I t- yeah, I told yeah, Phil that. It's, it's rated M for Melton. Yeah, it's rated M for Melton. So so funny. So uh, the review cast uh, came out today with Star Wars on it. Let me do a plug for that. And I got uh, Renee right away on the phone. And I said, Renee, you forgot to put the explicit tag on it. And he's like, holy shit, Don. You were on the podcast. Of course we got to do an explicit tag. So, uh, yeah, so he, he had to retro that one on there. I was like, I don't know why he forgot that. So, uh, where's it going with that? So I think it's, uh, I think everybody we're, calm it down. We're, yeah, we, we're wrenching a little bit too hard and we're going to forget to, I mean, so many people are writing about this and talking about this and stuff like that. So it's obviously getting a very big viewership. And people must either enjoy it because of the quality or they enjoy it the same way they enjoy hitting themselves in the head with a mallet. Mm. It's one or the other. I can't tell. So, you know, I want to go through all eight and see how it is, because certainly after I made all eight last season, my my opinion was both greater and lesser of the uh, of the whole show. And I understood where. Uh, Pizzolatto and uh, Fukunaga were were going with the whole thing, and this episode, I'm like, okay, I think I understand a little bit more, but I want to see the next two to see whether they're going to really tie up all these loose ends and whether all these little uh, side escapades and everything else are really going to pay off. Uh, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, and it'll be a huge disappointment and. Will you know run Pizzolatto out on uh, out of town on a rail on a really fucking expensive rail if he has to pay for it himself? Because if Vince Vaughn's got to pay for it, yeah, Vince Vaughn's going to pay because I'm sure he's <laughs> got the money now after this. That's so true. Uh, 
So I thought uh, this week was uh, was you know finally some excitement and some tension because well, tension we was op- yeah missing and we mm-hmm. opened up with 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 <clears throat> I, I thought was a heat like um, series of shots where you have you know two protagonists um, you know squaring off on each other they both have guns and. After one of our agents' tapes, I looked at it a completely different way because I actually thought it was fairly decent, and I thought some of the the language in it was good. Where, um, you know, when Frank tells Ray that, uh, you know, if you think that just this this little change would have changed you, you're lying to yourself. Oh, I thought that was a good line. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Agent Luoma, right? Exactly. Exactly. We heard his uh, tape, or at least a chunk of it, at the beginning of this episode. But uh, no, you're right. I feel like this scene was Pizzolatto trying way too hard to be uh, Tarantino more than anything else. Um, I feel like uh, this reminded me way more of Inglorious Bastards than anything else. Um, I think it's Pizzolatto trying way too hard to be Pizzolatto. (laughs) Um, The scene was about twice as long as it needed to be. Yes. Uh, uh, and I, I didn't necessarily think you needed the cutback, but you know, everybody's armchair quarterback there. I think it got the point across about the ever shifting and questioning of loyalties and the tension between these two men. And the, the end point of it was, you know, Frank saying, well, you know, you're, you're just about my only friend and like, you know, racing, like how fucked up is that? Right. (laughs) We we talked about this one of the first episodes where uh, why do they keep coming back to the bar if they hate each other so much? You can tell that they don't want to be there, but it seems like the only like the the most real thing they've got for each other. I was really surprised and I was actually delighted they didn't do this scene in the bar because I was uh, I I mean, how can you top a guy in a polyester suit uh, lip singing Conway Twitty you know, okay. after the. After the Twin Peaks intro to three, I mean, they did the bar to death. Uh, so I'm glad they did it somewhere else. And so in the normal house environment or apartment or whatever it is environment, I thought that was a I thought that was a nice touch. So. Well, Phil, what did you think? Did you think that this scene was too long, or did you think that this had something oh, to do with? I, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm right there with Don. I, it was way too long, and then at the end of the, it's almost like they didn't know how to how to just end it, and so it becomes <laughs> this little like, I'm gonna say, oh, if you ever come here again, I'm gonna get you. Oh, if you do this, <laughs> I'm gonna get you. And and so it was yeah. like the one up one upsmanship. It's like, come on, guys, just. You know, and besides that, I I just had, I had a really it was a continuity thing. But when Ray took his gun and put his hand on the table, like I was like, wait a minute, you mean that gun is just like kind of just sitting there on your thigh? Like, if it falls and goes off, mm. yeah, I just it just was odd. And then his wife comes out with a gun as well. I'm like, what? <laughs> I feel like the scene was did not justify because I thought that was a beautiful image. It reminds me of like the classic femme fatale from old film noir movies, and it did not warrant that by any means. It felt like they just kind of threw it in there for aesthetic purposes. And True Detective is very aesthetic, especially uh, at the very end. Oh my god, that ending sequence! But 
the um all the aesthetic choices that they make are very deliberate uh to go and help uh support a much larger idea of what the show is supposed to look like it it's set in 2015 but it feels a lot like a noir in many ways so her coming out and having a gun in this big beautiful nightgown type dress uh i feel like they tried she just got out of bed though i mean continuity wise it makes sense yeah but i I also like the idea that before uh frank left base okay take a gun back me up if i need uh yeah i you know that part didn't bother me uh as much i i thought it was actually reserved of them not to get too angsty or over elaborate with the dialogue between them because i thought it was good that you know they had reconnected last episode and all they needed to do is exchange glances and stuff and that was plenty enough communication about what was going on and i thought okay um Frank uh Frank and his wife excuse me <clears throat> starting Jordan are finally connected again that that's one slightly less screwed up relationship uh in this show so you see these uh and I, I wonder how it's going to end they're probably going to you know two episodes from now they're going to get divorced or something and one of them's going to shoot the other cuz <laughs> a you know Nick Pizzolatto uh so uh tor- uh tormented people cuz we certainly saw those tiny little arcs like that with uh uh with Ray this episode didn't we Oh a, certainly a few minor mood swings <laughs> to say the least I feel like the um the way that well let's let's jump over to Ray um the first thing we see of him well outside of uh these scenes with Frank is um uh, him visiting the new rapist, or not not new rapist, but now that he knows who this person is and that they verified via DNA that this person is indeed the father of his son, he's going to go visit him and see what's going on with um, uh, with him and try to threaten him or do something along those lines. It's some weird form of closure that he feels like he needs. And we've seen that he goes to ridiculous lengths for closure and for uh, some kind of inner peace that's really off balance and really what? effed up. I don't, I don't think it's closure or inner peace. This is a man who's clearly tormented by these machismo expe- uh, expectations, the one uh, that he obviously has from his father. When you cast Fred Ward, Fred freaking Ward, as <laughs> the guy's dad... You know what a what a hard ass. You know that he's like he's putting all this on himself. This um, somebody uh, I believe online a few weeks ago and it actually cracked me up. It's it's like True Detective this season even more so has you know uh, the penis obsession. You know it's the masculinity thing and things like that. And this is a, Ray is clearly a guy who you know, cannot deal with that type of, you know, rage hormone of being a man. So every time he gets tweaked slightly like that, he just goes off in the edge. Uh, it was like him beating the crap out of, um, what's the doctor? The, uh, Rick Springfield. That's, yeah, that's Rick, his name on Rick the show. Play, yeah, <laughs> Rick Springfield, which was for me cathartic anyway, cause I, I never liked the man's music. Uh, yeah. so, um, so he's, you know, he's just rage. And just when you think he might have it under control, 
he just explodes and he shows no progress. So my question is, is what's the point of Ray? What has he learned? Because it's obviously nothing at all. <laughs> what do you think, Phil? I think you're a bigger fan of him than me. Well, <clears throat> see, I saw him initially as this character that was going to have a transformation. And it's clear to me that, at least from where we are now, that transformation had begun slightly. But then during this this episode in particular, it all goes completely backwards. Now, the only thing that he actually does do and does well, in a sense, is that you know he goes on his bender and then decides, please don't tell my son that you know and you know don't ever tell him who his who his real father is just let him be my son and so we he splits off and has closure that way which is still kind of somewhat childish the way he's doing it but i kind of understand his mentality a little bit but it just seems like boy you're really not taking me on a road with any of these characters where i feel like you know from point A to point B that there's going to be some sort of difference between in this character. And that's the part that really irks me. There's no redemption. Um, and even in a redemption, you know, like a redemption arc where he would get killed even after doing the good thing, uh, you know, could that still possibly happen? I don't know, but I, I feel, I feel bad for that character because it doesn't, he just doesn't move. And he's so awkward. Like that scene with his son, and they were going to build a model, and it's just, you know, and Prop, especially props to the actors, all three actors in in that room for pulling that off. That that just almost wanted to make me get up and uh, pace around the room. It oh, just making me sweat with the awkwardness. But that's the thing, I, I feel. I think the point you're getting to is when you write stories, you, you have to pick at least one character, and it's not necessarily your, your hero that you pick. But you got to make one character in a in a set of story someone you like, and and at the end of the day, that's my biggest problem with True Detective this season. I don't like any of them. <laughs> like I want to like I don't Paul. like any of the characters. Hell, I don't even like Paul. Uh, I, well, I know because uh, he's like milk toast, except when he's in a gun battle. He's a god. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, getting tired of the angst. So, I mean, I would agree with Brian that, you know, he does get some closure and he comes around finally on his son and he finally gives up on the custody. He makes progress in that sense, but he goes through, you know, the kind of fit that you'd see, you know, a 12 year old who had access to cocaine and, you know, Christ only knows what all he's got on that table there. And you see when he's making the call to his ex-wife, he's torn up everything in his house. I mean, you're not seeing a model citizen there. You're not even seeing a guy that is that interesting that you'd want around. You're not seeing the model um, plane either because they didn't build it. <laughs> um, but, but wait, guys, I, nice I, I want to make sure nice that one, we're guys. all clear on this. Did we all know he's not a cop anymore? Because I'm not entirely yeah, yeah. sure they actually hammer that point home enough that he's not a cop anymore. But I did read some reviews online. Turns out... He's not a cop anymore. And because he's not a cop anymore, 
that's his new art. We got a lot more of this last week, but the fact that, you know, it's so obvious that his arc is going to be cop redemption kind of thing is infuriating to me because he has so much more there. And we got a lot of that this episode, but I feel like it's all ending here. Um, I mentioned inner peace earlier, and you're right. It's not really like inner peace. He's like a id just kind of running around chasing whatever. Uh, uh, he's a dog running around chasing whatever truck comes by. But I feel like he's he's there in a way <laughs> trying to like find some center. And by at least admitting that he's not the father, he shouldn't be chasing after this anymore, that at least one weight is pulled off of this weird equ- equilibrium scale that he's built in his mind. I feel like, um, like even though you know we get this really great, horrible, awkward scene, then we get the um, insane bender, which made me really uncomfortable. I laughed a lot, which I don't think was actually the intention of it. Um, but at the end, you know, we get a really sweet, bitter, sad scene where he says, "Yeah, I'm not even going to contest this anymore," because he realizes it, it's not necessarily that his son doesn't love him anymore, because I'm sure he does, but he's indifferent, and in his mind, that's worse. You know, when I think about benders like those types of scenes, I think of uh, Martin Sheen, Apocalypse Now. I think Harvey Keitel, Bad Lieutenant. Both mm. of those, like, like, are palpably like I feel for those characters, and it's like they eliminated some of the the, the truly crazy parts, and instead let us see a bunch of smoking, snorting, and drinking, and not this breaking. I think. I think that was a that was a misstep. I think yeah, I like that reveal agree was with you, Phil. Yeah, yeah, I think that was yeah. a, that was a totally total misstep. You know, a, a more interesting thing would for me, you know, be shooting uh Colin Farrell through a window or down a hallway where you see him uh and visually it, it's interesting you see him moving back and forth not even entirely in view the entire t- time trashing his living room. And they could have done so much with just those few stark fleeting images and a wonderful soundtrack. Instead, we see this cartoon of him, uh, you know, uh, making lines and drugs and stuff like that. And I don't think that's Colin Farrell's fault. I think that's uh, the writer and director's fault for that, for blowing that. Well, the difference between the writer and director and uh, Colin Farrell in a lot of these scenes, I feel like his line delivery in the awkward uh, child scene with the social worker, I guess. I thought his line de- delivery was pretty awful. The scene as a whole was executed well and made us feel really awkward, and I feel like that's a success. But the the uh, the divide between the actor's job and the screenwriter and director's job is so apparent in this scene. There are things that are well-written but are delivered horribly. There are things that are horribly written but delivered well. And I feel like the big difference between the two of those in... Uh, uh, Ray's arc in particular is that they they could have done so much more with the bender scene. I feel like if this was season one with Mac- Matthew McConaughey, if he had gone on a similar bender like this, it would have been done in maybe one or two shots. You're right, with the camera pulled really far back with a few fleeting images and maybe like a single yell and a vase being broken. We get everything we need and we can see that under the surface is something like massive bubbling up inside of him, like in um, Nightcrawler, if either of you have seen that. We get a really a lot of really yeah. great little moments where you see all of the stuff underneath him that could come bubbling up. And in and, this, we and get all this of is exact. This is exactly what I'm getting to the point about Nick Pizzolatto trying to to be Nick Pizzolatto too much, right? 
it, it's almost like he's doing a caricature of the work that he's done before. And it's not working. Not at all. And neither um, is my phone, apparently, right now. My phone just died. Oh, oh well. no. Thank God we're on the Mac. <laughs> there we go. That's very hey, just, I, way, I, got a, I got a beep, and Brian, while you were talking, I was like, oh, that's my phone. And my phone is dead. Mm. So I have no idea. I'll figure out what it is after this. So whatever you do, don't call me because my phone. Right. Sorry. The, 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 the juxtapose is interesting here where you have, though, again, it's one of those situations where if I'm expecting kind of a pair, if I've been seeing parallel ideas, I would be more apt to receive them and, and accept them. But here we have Frank being uh, kind of like father, surrogate father of the year, giving this pep talk to uh, Stan. I believe it's Stan, mm-hmm. his uh, henchman's uh, son. And it's like, I mean, I actually found that scene kind of touching when, you know, the... But where the, the hell does the, that come from? I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, it doesn't make any... But, I mean, it's, you it's, butt these two, these two scenes up against each other, and I know what they were going for, but it's like, I, I don't understand why. Well, the, obviously what he's trying to do is to show that the, the career criminal can make a connection with a complete stranger, you know, his... Uh, his uh, his former friend and henchman, uh, as you said, son, whereas uh, Ray can't even connect to his own son when they're in the same room. I Ooh, get that, what I like they're that. trying to do. But the, uh, and that's what they were going for, but it seemed a little bit too, it's a wonderful fucking life there, some of the dialogue. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And I was like, "Really, really, you're going to uh, to do that?" I mean, he has to say something to the kid if you're going to get that point across. Exactly. But it was really kind of cheesy. It was like uh, about it was like about half of the dialogue uh, at the beginning with Ray and Frank. I was cringing over. Mm-hmm. Half of it was really good, and the <laughs> other half was like, "Really?" Uh, they I mean, tried too hard. You're right. I mean, at the very beginning with a coffee. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What do you take? Cream yeah. and sugar, something like that. It felt so distinctly like it was trying too hard to be something it wasn't. And when you when it comes to the scene with uh, Frank and the uh, the henchman's kid, first of all, is that the end of uh, Ray's arc for this episode? We see him later, but that's the end of like his son, right? Let's move on to Frank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, great. So uh, in this episode, Frank is doing more wheeling and dealing, and in this case, um, you know, in addition to bribing some people, looking for some people we'll talk about soon. But in this scene, he is visiting his uh, henchman, Stan, who I didn't even remember at all. I remember seeing somebody dead and then um, him blowing up over it. And turns out, yeah, it's this guy. Um, they say his name is Stan a lot, which is good because I wouldn't have remembered his name was Stan. Um, but he's talking to his kid in order to try to... I, when he sat down, I thought he was trying to extort something from him, like information-wise, and it, along the That's lines exactly of exactly what I thought. Yeah, like who is your daddy and what does he do? I thought he was trying to do something <laughs> along those lines. Oh God, you guys are twisted. Even I didn't think of that. And I'm, and you know, it's it's been proven that there is something wrong with me. Uh, I mean, there's there's paperwork on that. <laughs> Uh, who's your daddy but, and what uh, does he Jesus, do who's your daddy uh no i i, I knew what they're trying to do they're trying to show their 
they're trying to show, I think, like I said, one, the contrast, but they're also trying to show this career uh, criminal. He's a really complex and good person in some ways, but they beat us to dead, uh, death with that, uh, in other ways later, uh, earlier on. Yeah. I realize he's a nice guy who's trying to get through this horrible time of having to be a criminal. I mean, Jesus Christ, just stop being a criminal for, mm. you know, uh, you're a pimp now, Frank, you're a pimp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's why it just seems strange to me, but I didn't think he was trying to extort the kid or extort the mom. I mean, and the actors did, you know, they're actors, right? So they can mm. seem sincere. Uh, well, they... now Stan also, <laughs> like I noticed this, Stan was missing his eyes when when they found his body. Yeah. Now they have not followed up on that, so I have no idea if what I saw was legit or not. Well, it, it's legit because he did have no eyes, but the important thing there is that it's the same guy that killed Casper in my eyes. I don't think it eyes thing. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, what Stan was doing as much as, you know, what the other guys are doing because Stan hasn't done anything uh, prior to that except for be there in scenes. Yeah. Uh he had a few lines er, er, uh, early on, but uh the other guy, the guy who's running the um uh the parties Ultra and stuff. Brothel. Yeah. Yeah, the ultra brothel, uh, who works for Frank. Can't think of his name. Great actor, by the way. Mm-hmm. Really plays a slimy guy really well. Uh, uh, the, he's had a lot more screen time. Indeed. So, well, he's not dead for one thing yet, so he's obviously <laughs> had more screen time. I feel like he's going to be like a major part of the rest of the season, especially the way this episode shook out by the end. I feel like he's going to be not necessarily the main villain, the yellow king of this season, but I feel like he's going to be up there in terms of the people they're going to go after, but who knows? Um, the way, okay, so this the way that uh, well, Vince Vaughn... I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I have no idea where this series is going. And in one way, that's a good thing because I like surprises. Cause I, I, but in another way, it kind of irritates me because they do things every episode. It's like, why the fuck did you do that? Uh, so... <laughs> It's, but I, I, I'm not even going to make any predictions for episode seven or eight because I've, I've obviously been wrong every time, much like (laughs) the end of the, I'll, when we finally get to it, much like the end of the episode, boy, that did not go the way I thought it was going to go at all, which has actually made it enjoyable for me. Well, we'll we'll talk a lot about where this episode leaves us at the end of uh, this episode of our show, but I feel like. Uh, they set a lot of things up to go in very clean directions, which I don't necessarily want. But you're right. There's a difference between say, a roller coaster where if you're going along, going along, going along, then all of a sudden you have a big drop. That feels good. That's adrenaline. That's excitement because you're going on a roller coaster. You're expecting a big, cool ride that surprises you and thrills you. Whereas I feel like this season of True Detective is much more of something that uh zigs and zags in a way that like bangs your head back and forth and those stupid little bars they put you down on and it hurts and it's not fun <laughs> like there could be adrenaline here on like a big roller coaster drop but instead it's zigzagging mo- back and mostly forth. welts right mostly mm. welts on the exactly. side of your head you mentioned yeah. hitting yourself in the head with a mallet earlier that's not that <laughs> yeah. far off well you know now you guys are bringing up some home hardware stuff and so i need to bring up this little piece of uh home hardware that I've got to find at Home Depot. This nail gun that looks like an eardropper, uh, like the ear vacuum, but you put oh, a nail into it. you've never seen one it. of those? I've never seen one. a manual one. screwdriver or something? Oh, yeah. It's a vaporizer. Uh, 
It's, no. It's a nail drive. <laughs> so the nail it, drive. You, I, I've seen it before. My dad was a carpenter, so I've seen it before. Okay. Oh, there you go. So this thing is amazing and it gets real results. And when you, I'll tell you. you so know, there's I, some coworkers you're planning on using this on, right? Folks? That's right. Bill yeah. Muslock here um, for the nail gun. <laughs> if you want information and you want it done right, first of all, you hire yourself a Frank, and he gives him gives a bunch of looks uh, to his henchman, little of the side the sidewinder eyes, and you get a nail in the hand, in the shoulder, and if you're not careful, in the eye. But yeah. if you spill the beans, you won't get it in the eye. But it will hurt like hell when he, they go to take the nails out. That was actually a pretty well-constructed scene for basically a torture scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was real clear about what they were going to do. And they also didn't linger too much on uh, the harshness of it. You you got the—I think the point was made that Frank will still do anything, even though he's really nice to his former henchman son. He's still really an asshole and, you know, not a good guy. Well, and he's uh, doing this all so that he can get his five parcels. Yeah, his five parcels. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, you know, I've through I give Piz a lot of this. He can he can plot a really complicated story, but I think this season is a little bit too complicated because I was having to smack myself for reminding myself. Okay, what is it about the blue diamonds and Vera? Was her name Vera? The girl from the beginning, or yeah, it's keeping is, all the threads together that was making me nuts. Exactly, That's we've too gotten much some work. crap. Yeah, we've gotten yeah, some crap before work. about forgetting things and forgetting characters on the show. But I feel like the beauty of this <laughs> podcast is that every viewer is doing that. Exactly, <laughs> the beauty of this podcast is that a bunch of people are coming together to like piece together everything. We've forgotten some things. The audience has forgotten some things and everyone reminds us of things on Twitter. I'm at Brian Hamilton. Please tweet at us. And it's like we have to do all this work we didn't have to do in season one and it's not fun. It feels like we're just clocking in, uh, punching our time cards and doing this every week and it's not fun anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I, enjoyed watching, I, I enjoyed watching it last night. I mean, especially when it started to... Uh, when it took the unexpected turn, uh, do we want to get to that point where after uh, Semyon, after Frank uh, makes the uh, deal for Arena? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, go ahead. After yeah, Arena calls him. Uh, well, before are that. We talking about, needs... Are we talking about the Mexican standoff with an actual yeah, Mexican? Mexican? I hated that yeah. line so much. That, that just pissed me off. Uh, well. I was a Mexican. I I might find that offensive too, but well, it's not even about being was, offensive. It's about like it. It felt so out of character for him to say. I don't know. It, that pissed me off. Let's move on. <laughs> well, well, no. I I thought he was trying to like uh, deescalate Lighten the situation. The yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, actually, see? because because everybody's got guns there. So, uh, but I thought it was really kind of odd that he made such a obviously one-sided deal with them that he's going to get screwed by. So I was like, Frank, you can't be that stupid, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they have the uh, uh, phone call with Arena, who we never actually see until the end when she's dead. Spoiler. 
uh, that uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this before you see the episode, please, you're dumb. We'll be don't yeah, do it's it. It's kind of pointless to li- uh, to listen to this and then see the episode for the first time. Really stupid. <laughs> uh, that uh, I thought, well, I I actually didn't expect that to happen, uh, and I thought, well, I kind of like. Well, I mean, I thought it was grotesque that they killed her, but I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, and that. But although it didn't emphasizes the completely boneheaded deal that Frank made uh, with the uh, this cartel, these two cartel members. No, you're right. He uh, he traded all of his properties just for boardwalk, so he get that one little monopoly in it and failed miserably. And I yeah. feel like the way that um, all of that shook out. First of all, can we like pick apart all of the different girls that they're looking for and who they are? Mainly for my benefit, but also for the audience if they're listening and don't understand what's going on. Because this girl that they're looking for now was the girl that a few episodes back they talked to the pawn shop person, right? Right. This is Lido's the mo- girlfriend. Yes, this is Lido's girlfriend. girlfriend. Lido is the son of the mayor. No, yes. Lido no. is no. The oh, wait, guy. he's not. No, no. <laughs> they, here's where here's where the bloodbath <laughs> happened. And see, this Lido is the guy at the end of episode oh, right, right, right. four that yeah, takes everybody ho- takes the guy hostage and then blows his own brains out. And the case is over and done with because he's the one that killed Casper. And or the so only they think, think. They, exactly. No, no. Everybody who doesn't have any sense thinks because they want it to be over with that he killed Casper, but it's obvious that he's not. So that's right. Uh, this is his girlfriend. Great, right? okay. Arena. Right. I sorry, I, I, I screwed it up. And you know, by the way, when that guy was on, I thought it really surprised me that they killed him because he's a really I have you seen the actor in other parts? He's a really good actor. And he had like two lines and they were both grunts. Yeah, I and mean, they're ah. in a different language. Yeah. yeah. What what the hell uh, did you waste a guy like that for? I mean he's a really good actor. Exactly. <laughs> so um and you know, they shot him in the end. I was like, Well, I guess we're not gonna get that scene where he talks to the cops or talks to them pity and and, and it's vera from episode one who right ani finds in in the super party but we you know that was again one of those little details from the very beginning all the way at episode one and that's fine to have that little breadcrumb there but you have to be like at least exposing that breadcrumb breadcrumb every now and again mm-hmm well, you know, it's like, it's like Renee says, uh, you, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go show a, a gun in the beginning, you know, you're gonna use it later on. If you put it on the mantelpiece, you know, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna be a significant part of the story later on. Chekhov's knife. Play or yeah, Chekhov's knife. <laughs> and so uh, these days, it's a gun. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but it it, it not only is stupid to do that and then not use it later on. It's really stupid to forget by making things so goddamn complicated and multiple episodic uh, episodes to forget about the gun entirely that, or that there was ever a mantelpiece. And the problem (laughs) is that they've done really, really poorly with the repetition. The repetition we do get is that things like Ray's not a cop anymore, you know, like yeah i kind of got that right he's not wearing a badge and shit like that stop reminding me of that thing but can you explain to me again who the fuck vera was so uh 
because if I didn't have Wikipedia, <laughs> I'm not sure I could watch this show because it's it's really it's really kind of complex. And, well, and to think of all the other characters, I mean, people complain about Game of Thrones, right? Oh, Game yeah. of Thrones mm-hmm. has a lot of characters. It has more characters than should be allowed by law, not only in this country, but, you know, elsewhere. Wherever they film it. Yeah, whenever, wherever they the many countries they film it in. But you remember all of them and you know who they are. I never had a problem. You know, five seasons of Game of Thrones, never had a problem remembering that. The This show, though, I mean, we're six episodes in and I'm like, who the hell was that again? And that's not a good well, sign. And I and I and I told you, Don, like we, we we had texted as I was watching it at lunch and I said and at the end of lunch, I was like, woof. I, I mean, I, it, I got there was a lot of tension and I felt kind of excited. Now, is that because I haven't felt any for five episodes? Yes, but it did well, still get the end of episode. I, I still four, didn't have there that was some excitement, but it was like sure. kind of pointless excitement. Right. It was the shootout. This one was, uh, I think, and I want to quote you here, Phil. Uh, uh, let's see, where, where is it? Holy shit balls is what you, uh, you texted. Right. Me. Was it shit balls or <laughs> oh, shit, yeah, shit balls. punctuation balls? Holy, he put spaces between them. I, he, okay. was, he was in a hurry. Okay. Yeah, it's pronounced holy shit balls. And, and I texted back in my best British voice. Ah, you must be watching it. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Because it does pick up in the end. It's the, you know, it's the tension ex- and excitement. Finally, I thought, uh, giving you a reason to w- uh, watch it. I'm going to find out what my wife thinks of it because she's been, while we've been doing this episode, she's upstairs watching it right now. So Yeah, but you get to this, this end point and where all this action was happening. And when I really look at it and just, it's like, okay, you guys have never been at this house. And... Everybody's able to find everything that they've wanted to find. And I mean, it's just Dosis X Machina, wasn't it? Oh, boy. What was it? uh, With uh, with uh, Officer uh, Woodrow coming around at exactly the right moment, putting his ear to the window when the bad guys say what their evil plan is right then. God. My so favorite thing it, in the rest of development was when um, they would turn on the news and say, hey, they're about to do this plot point thing on the news. And it doesn't come. They say, OK, it'll be on in a minute or so. But it's there. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, let's jump into the uh, big finale of the scene uh, of the episode, which is definitely well, the big like well, the big thing everyone was shocked about on Twitter, wasn't before it? Before we before we get to that, we got to talk about a couple of other uh, other things, which is uh, Bezzaridi's scene with her sister with Athena. Oh with yeah. The knives, mm. right? Oh yeah. Well, like where we get the where the illusion of knives. Yeah, with a you know, you get the foreshadowing there like that was lost on anybody. And then there's the scene with Bezerides, Woodrow and Velcoro, right? You know, when they're talking in her apartment as well. So what did you what was your reaction to that? I actually thought both of those scenes were good. Well, the way that they filmed the scene with um uh, with the two sisters, with uh, Rachel McAdams and her sister. I feel like the fact that she was slicing and dicing this big dummy, wh- that was some of the stuff that was in the big um, uh, preview that we teaser, got beforehand. Yeah. yeah, the teaser. And I, I'm surprised we got this far into the show without uh, having actually seen it. But uh, the fact that she was there 
slicing and dicing this doll while her sister is explaining the party how to get in, what they're going to be expecting of her. I felt like that was cheesy. And they explained it away like, wait, why are you there playing with knives while I'm explaining things to you? And she says, well, I was exercising when you came in, so I'm going to keep exercising because that's what the script told me to do. Uh, I like the scenes in terms of the acting, but the way that the uh, director plotted it out. And again, the the divide between the actors and the uh, director. I'll probably save this for the very last episode of uh, our run because I have so many things to say about that that aren't 100% relevant here. But TLDR, I feel like... Um, she is the best actor, but has the worst written character. And then everyone else falls on a different spectrum in that grid. Anyway, that scene pissed me off in that they explained away, wait, why is this so theatrical? I don't know. I'm just going to do this while you tell me about this. Here's the thing I liked about the scene, Brian. It was two strong, complicated women not talking about a man. No, of course, that is definitely very important. And you're right. I remember um, when they announced that they would get more female protagonists in the show, everyone was very happy. And they've done a good job with making um, uh, Ani be very complicated and a good character, which makes me very happy. My quarrels with the scene are um, all in terms of the directorial action and the editing and uh, all of that stuff and the setup. But you're right. That is a very, very important aspect of this and their whole relationship as a whole. But if yeah. you're a cop I, I, and you're getting information on how to do something and what's expected of you, you better pay attention. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I, I think it goes to I think it goes to what the uh, the inner torment of Ani's character is and and the relation the complicated relationship she has with her sister. Uh, and the other thing I think they're trying to show is that her sister, who was you know, doing the internet sex and taking drugs and all this other kind of stuff is actually the stable one of them. Mm-hmm. Who did the nice piece of art. And Ani is the one that's going to the dark place and making the bad decisions now because. And she's drowning on dry land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. When did the, okay, this is probably a tiny detail that I missed earlier but- on. So anyway, those two reasons I I, I like this. No, and no, definitely. I mean, that was very important. Um, but you're right. The way that uh, the rest of the episode plays out definitely highlights the fact that she's repressing a lot of things, and she has a lot of stuff to deal with that her sister has come to terms with. Even though on the surface, you know, Ani's a cop, and she's you know really really good at all this stuff, but there's so much stuff underneath, uh, just underneath, that really needs to be worked through. That it seems like her sister has a better grasp of. Yes. You want to talk about Much how the rest than of this she thought. Out? Well, uh, do we want to talk about the scene with uh, Woodrow, her, uh, Ani, and Velcoro? Oh, the clubhouse It's a very scene. short Yeah. No, no. Uh, it's a very short scene where they're preparing where uh, one funny line, I thought, where Velcoro gives her the um, homing thing. And oh. I actually yeah. thought that was funny and uh actually tastefully done you know in your shoe so cut to uh, what happened to your shoes (laughs) yeah the the only problem they kept hedging and saying look you know you're probably have to do something here these guys are going to be expecting something it's like look she gets it you know it you like i i I know you got and that's probably them trying to do like care for her in some way and not knowing her fully it's just like, look, Ani can take care of it, and she's going to do something. 
And if she has to do a little bit of something, she's okay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also pre-flying, like, you know, uh, as Woodrow says, uh, try not to use your knife, to, uh, you know, but if you, you have, have to. to do, yeah, <laughs> but if you have to, so, yeah. so, you know, the thing is, is that brilliant writing or is it clumsy writing? I thought that set up the, um, it's place in the episode was important. We get like the work up to the big party. Uh, I thought the dialogue wasn't that good because it all rehashed things that we'd seen earlier in the episode. So we get things like, yeah, you're going to have to uh, maybe do these things you don't want to. I don't know if we can help, but you're on your own, kid. And we get things like that that don't really have much of a place advancing the plot, but they contribute to this aesthetic they're going for, which is a hard-boiled, gritty detective, true detective, if you will. And it's it's not anything that I'm interested in at that point in time. I just want to get to the party. I wish they had put more in there other than a sex joke and some stereotypical bullcrap about uh, what she has to do that night. The thing is, uh, what I would do is I compare this scene to the scene in episode four, season one, uh, before, you know, the epic um, tracking shot. uh, Yeah. The epic tracking shot with uh, (laughs) Rust. Where uh, uh, Rust and Marty are like back at uh, the apartment talking about what they're going to have to do. And it's like night and day in terms of tension and quality and pre-flighting mm-hmm. what's going on. My favorite um, thing about that scene that you just talked about is that we're reminded it's 1995 when he says, hey, this is a cell phone. Here's how you use it. You push this button and you do this. And I thought that was great. And that bit of humor, like, lightened things up, but it didn't detract from anything, which is why I felt the shoe joke did this episode. Yeah, that's true. But, Jesus, you you, you got to hold on to what you can with this. Uh, <laughs> You're much more optimistic than I am about this well, entire operation. <laughs> so the next scene, the big scene, like I said, I think it's really uh, Dosa's Ex Machina, but in a way... It really did what it was supposed to do, which is make things very, very tense. Indeed. And it did that very well. And doing it from essentially a mostly very narrow shots uh, around Rachel McAdams' head and showing it from her perspective and having to take the drugs. And obviously this torment, like, how far do I go down this path Mm -hmm. to do what I'm supposed to do? I thought that was actually very well done and very well fun. And it, it really made it claustrophobic. Like you'd think she was coming to the end of a room or a hall and you turn and there are other people having sex there. Yeah. It gave me that feeling of like when you've been totally hammered and like the world is completely like you can barely get, you, you can barely see like kind of five feet in front of you and everything's that tight. And you can't really remember how do I get from A to B because it's how many times you've been hammered like that, Phil? Uh, I mean, like college wise, I mean, I can think, but I can think of those times where like you're, especially when you're in a place you don't know, that's the, you know, that's the first part. It's like, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea the layout. And then to have been sprayed with a drug that quite honestly, I don't think you can vomit something that's been sprayed on you but that's yeah. neither, neither here nor there <laughs> well she um, tried it but it's very clear that she, she was not successful but the other thing the, the thing that took me out of the moment there was just all the gratuitous uh nipples and uh 
and hey, lower HBO. triangles there. HBO. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's home the boob same office. thing. You know, yeah, the the home boob office. The uh, it's what irritates the hell out of me sometimes about watching Game of Thrones or back in the day, True Blood. Boy, True Blood would really they would go into the grotesque sex scenes, and my mm-hmm. wife and I were but would both look at each other and like fast forward. You know, because we didn't care. We we cared about the story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, so my biggest problem with uh, – I thought that the way they shot it was brilliant, and it really did ramp up that tension. My biggest fear I, – I tweeted this a week or so ago. My biggest fear with season two so far is that it's going to ruin season one for me and that I'll look back at season one and see all the things that I hate about season two, but I'll just overlook them because it was so good in other respects. And – Seeing this tonight, yeah, that that'll it'll happen a little bit, but I, a little you know, bit. But you, you, you just need to drink more, son. I mean, <laughs> what you think I'm not? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so, don't uh, don't worry about that. So, but the other thing I liked about this is I was actually dreading it because I thought this is going to go really badly for Ani, especially when she starts having the weird flashbacks or whatever. And that kind of came out of left field, but. There was enough there that I got the context where, you know, on the ashram or the commune or wherever she was at before with her dad, there was some guy who abused her. Mm-hmm. The key thing is, will this guy be a connection later on for anything? Who the hell knows? They got two episodes to pull this off. Good luck. We've been saying that every week in terms of like they only have a few but like, episodes. How do you bring that kind of thing up? I mean, it's just like, for real, you're going to do that now? It, that was a little awkward. But here's the thing is I thought this would go down in the pit that this would be the botched uh, escapade, right? That everything would go wrong. And it kind of looked that way when she whipped out the knife on the guy to take him out. And he doesn't realize at first that he's basically been, you know, ha- uh, had his intestines sl- yeah, uh, cleaved for him. And uh, and then you see the thing outside where uh, Woodruff goes out the uh, the door and Velcoro, ha- you know, goes goes Velcoro uh, on the, the <laughs> guy in the walkway. Did he ever? Yeah. You know, yeah. And which was the irony of her uh, saying in the car later on as they're speeding away. Oh, I think I killed somebody. And Ray's like thinking, well, duh. <laughs> I kill three people. I, mean, I breakfast. killed two or three people. Yeah. <laughs> so but, well, and then that whole that that first part where Paul just freaking jumps out of nowhere and Spider Man's that guy. It was just I was just like, yes, Paul. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. The timing was such that it was like la da 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 boom. And I thought there could have been like uh, ragtime music over that, and it would have been pretty hilarious. Oh, I don't know. It I, I'm very good. Well, I I thought that whole how they go up was was actually uh, fairly well executed. It was a little disjointed when they got out, and uh, Woodruff says, "You know, Ray's getting the car," and it's like, "How the fuck did he get down the hill that fast?" <laughs> and all the way where he's looking around for where the car is, you know, he's coming around like seventy miles an hour. He's like, "What the hell?" He he ran a four-minute mile there. That was the only continuity thing uh, that bothered me. Yeah, yeah. And Imani with the with the whole accent, like she's completely, you know, spacing out, but she's able to do a Russian accent, and she's a- able to um, recognize Vera. Vera. I was just that like, was the man. part that was the stretch. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was the part that was the stretch. But still, one of the best 
uh, endings, especially when they're in the car, the things that they say, uh, the thing where Woodruff is like, I think we got it. This is like names. And then they drive off and there's that big ass moon in the sky. I thought that was kind of interesting. Parallels the end of the first episode when we got the big moon and all of them looking at each other, feeling like a team for the first time. And now for maybe the last time, who knows? But and then we get like a big, cool rock uh, ending credit music where it's it seals the deal. It's like, yeah, this happened. This is cool. And we're true detective, the best show of last year. And like, right, no, you're well, the worst that, show of this that year. That happens to be <laughs> that happens to be black, the Black Angels, which is at the end of the first episode when Matthew McConaughey says, start asking the right fucking questions. No. And, and, it, and that's, and that's that, 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 that tune kicks on. It's, it's a different song, but okay. one that I fell truly in love with. Same band. Yeah. Mm, Same yep. band. That was my next question. That's an incredible. Good ear. Uh, look, when well, it comes speaking to the music, music, I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, to admit how stupid I am, um, Music until I think it was like the third or fourth episode. I did not realize the theme song was Leonard Cohen. I mean, I just thought it was cool, but I I didn't look into who was singing it. You know, it's like the world's oldest rap artist. I mean, the man is eighty. Wow. Uh, yeah. When he recorded that thing, uh, so I was like, oh yeah, Leonard Cohen totally makes sense. Um, and if you ever, by the way, if you you actually listen to the, uh, if you can actually get Apple Music to work. Uh, you can listen to his album from last year where the song is on. And it's very interesting to hear that whole song, not in the context of uh, True Detective, and right. listen to the things that were cut out of it. Well, um, in the past two episodes, they've chosen for the title sequence different chunks of the song. Yes, have you noticed that? I have. Yes, I noticed I, it. I haven't noticed that. I, I noticed it on six, and then I went back to five to listen again because... I thought, well, if they did it on six, did they do it in the other previous episodes? And the ones this time are, are very significant, you know. There's much less of the female chorus and there's more horn, which I don't like. Yeah. So, but it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Music. The, here's the thing is I'm going to watch, you know, episode seven and eight. I mean, uh, the thing is... Uh, what else is on TV right now? Uh, Wayward Pines, Zoo. Mr. Robot's getting lots of buzz. A lot of buzz. Now, I just finished Wayward Sense Pines. Eight on Netflix. Uh, I haven't started Wayward Pines yet. I heard it's pretty good, but... It's worth it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my two biggest problems with uh, the ending sequence are um, the big plot points that are just kind of tossed away or feel contrived as beautiful as this thing is and this is what i was talking about before this is what true detective does right these beautiful bizarre uh dreamy sequences that make it feel like something out of a lot of people compared it to twin peaks uh this sequence and then the opening of uh, episode three in the bar with the you know coma dream uh it's compared a lot to twin peaks in that way and i feel like it does that right but my two biggest problems were um finding vera in the middle of this party because in the back of my mind i knew you know it's chekhov's missing sister i knew that uh she would come back in a big way and turns out she's a person involved with the blue diamonds and we learned that a few episodes ago and now she just happens to show up and okay can i can i let me bring up something because you're bringing up vera and i thought vera was in guerneville 
and who might have been killed. Same here. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly the same, Phil. Because we've never met either of them. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've seen the nothing, picture of Nothing's Vera, been done there. Hell, I wouldn't have recognized her on the floor <laughs> from the picture from, what, four episodes ago? Even longer. It was the first episode. The fir- first and episode. Is the picture that Paul shows that cop from the Diamond Heist, is that one of the people we're looking for? I think we found her. We didn't. The two kids? I don't yes. know. I don't, mm. Who the hell are the two kids? No idea. They were the kids that were involved with the diamond heist, but I don't think they're anything there. I, I didn't like that scene at all. Going oh, back to like the, the middle of the episode <laughs> yeah, with the cop, I did not like that scene at all. Well, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, it's a great piece by Josh Clark. You know what other role he's played, right? Who? Uh, the actor who played I'm, the I'm old told, cop. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he was, uh, he played, um, the dad on uh, Big. Oh Back my God! 80s. No way! Yeah. That's incredible. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh Clark. Oh my God! So. How many movies have you seen, Don? All oh, of them. Boy. All of them. Yes. Literally all of them. <laughs> and he's transcoded all of them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All of them. Yeah. Indexed inside his brain, HFS plus style. That, no, I, it's that, it's called IMDb, guys. <laughs> for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I. I mean, before I do any of these shows, people go like, how do you know that, Don? It's like, I don't know, the internet. Internet uh, movie so, Don. But is. I have seen all those things, too. So right. um, the thing that was racking my brain, uh, you know, the I know, and I had to look this up today, and I can't find out where I know her from, but Levin Rambin, who plays um, Athena Bezzarides, the sister, mm-hmm. like, Christ, I've seen her on some other film, and I can't think of what it is. And it, please don't tell me it was The Hunger Games. I know she was in The Hunger Games, but <laughs> some other film, and I can't figure out what it is. And uh, that see, that's what happens when you get old, guys. You just <laughs> stuff like that starts to go. Well, that's the thing. Anyway, I'm really bad at recognizing actors. I I didn't even recognize Rick Springfield. I felt really embarrassed by that one. But no, like having oh, I didn't recognize him the first. Time uh, he was in the first episode, the second episode. Second, yeah. I didn't recognize him at first. He has obviously had some work, but uh, the lowercase w work because it's not good work. Yeah. So and the uh, going back a few minutes, the second thing that pissed me off about the ending was the fact that uh, Paul was able to break in, grab all the papers, and they reduced that to literally just these are the papers that will break the case with all the names on them, and it was very trite in my opinion. He's ran in, grabbed the papers, and got out, and that was all that they needed. And it was something really random that, I mean, it's there, it was what they were doing, but I felt like it was way too trite. What did you think about that? I just want to see Frank see the Russian there. Like, because that was like a big part of Frank's deal is the Russian backed out. I was like, Frank, why can't you just take a picture and show Frank that this guy is there? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's because uh, Ray was never inside seeing him there or whatever. Uh, but the thing is, the, the triteness, the tropes. Here's the thing is, if you, I, I don't want to ruin season one for you, but True Detective season one was nothing but tropes. They, mm. It was just done very well. This is exactly why I'm scared to go back and see all the things no, I no, hate about season okay. two. It's okay. No, no, yeah, because I've what you'll again. do, it's like I, I, I've seen season one three times through now. 
Uh, I've watched it three times completely through. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, it wasn't. Uh, I watched it the second time, and I realized, oh shit! You know, this is this is pretty. This is pretty bad. This is like you know. <laughs> Uh, and then I watched it the third time and I was like, yeah, but I see how they made the transition here. The, the big flaw still in season one is you, you set up all the mysterious aspect and the yellow King and everything else like, and that you never get the payoff. It's like mouse nuts in the end. And you'll never fix that in season one. That's the big flaw to me is he did all of this setup, all this mysterious shit. And he just made a hard left turn before he went X Files, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I wanted to see a little, I wanted to see a little wackiness, and uh, he never went there. And I guarantee it'll be the same thing here. It'll be real pedestrian. My favorite thing that my friend commented about in the very first episode of season two was, "Huh, okay, I can see the potential for this to get weird, based on the lack of eyes and the bird mask and things like that." It, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not, it, it's not exactly. I, I I can pretty much guarantee that one. Uh, Pizzolatto's not going to do that because that's <laughs> not his. That's just not his style, and I don't know why. But because he set it up perfectly last season, and then the last, uh, the last episode was like kind of a downer for that reason. Exactly. Didn't uh, have the payoff. Yeah, exactly. It, it, but, it was but, weird. But you know, there are things that go. As someone was telling me, I haven't seen Wayward Pines yet, but they, as they tell me, yeah, but you can get too weird, right? Where it just doesn't feel. Uh, yeah, it goes a like way into a red herring. Like, yeah, it's like well, we're like, whoa, or wait a, little a minute. a bit too, you know, crazy. Uh, uh, there, there are ways to do that. Uh, but I think you can go conventional, but still creep the shit out of somebody, too. Mm-hmm. I mean,. Um, the greatest one of that of all time is probably the usual suspect. Oh, I mean, who, no, who didn't yeah. get the willies when, uh, you know, at the end when he's Spoilers. marching off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm lucky enough now. to have what, seen what it. What is that film? Like over 20 years old now. Oh, if you some... haven't seen it yet and you're listening to this show, what in the hell is the matter with you? Okay. As somebody <laughs> who is admittedly really young, all of the people I know that have seen this show or are watching this show, have not seen that movie. It comes up a lot in our discussions when we watch it together. They have not You're seen this movie. Me. No shit. Okay, I won't. I won't say anything else. And, right. <laughs> but i I want to have a I want to have a talk with all of them behind the woodshed litter. Mm. Yeah, Seriously? it's necessary. And and frankly, Brian, I think you're not doing your due diligence by uh, evangelizing these people. Oh no, of course I. Yeah. Mm, you know. Okay. Or so, indoctrinating. <laughs> well. It, for me, it's always weird because, like, I did the, uh, well, you know, we recorded that Star Wars podcast the other day. With, uh, I was with four of the people, and two of the people weren't even born when Star Wars came out. <laughs> and the others, uh, only one of them was barely able to remember, you know, seeing the original movie in the theater. And, you know, it's like, I was like, what about you, Gramps? And it's like, well, I was 20 years old when it came out. <laughs> Well, I was a full-fledged adult. <laughs> yeah, a grown-ass man, as I described it. So I say this every, every single week. I hate to be a dead horse, but this is the only time in history we're ever going to have a week between each episode. So you're right. There are going to be people that are going to be talking about the show in years that were not maybe even alive when the show came out. I wasn't alive when Twin Peaks came out. So I still watch that show. I still love it. So the episode ends with... Um, 
they get away. It's very clean. They have all the uh, documents they need to get the hell out of there. What the hell's going to happen next episode? Are they just going to go along their merry way, give all this to the cops, and have everything just set, ready to go? I feel like they tied up too many loose ends with that end. What did you think? See, I think they're going to look at those names and say to themselves, hey, wait a minute. Uh, we can't just let this – we can't just give this information up. There's too many high, high-ranking high people. And speaking of which, I want to watch the episode again because there were a lot of guys in that house that we've seen throughout the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like big-timers. Big and I still think there's going to be something that happens in Guerneville, some sort of evidence that might pop out. But I think they're going to be in a real bad state of affairs. Well, I think we're going to see, uh, because you don't waste hiring a guy like C.S. Lee, who was in the house, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember C.S. Lee from Dexter. He's the uh, attorney general or the guy who's going for the big attorney general job uh, without him coming back. So they'll probably what they'll probably do. There's a mystery right now is like who the heck killed Casper? And I don't think it's necessarily any of the big shots, but I think they'll have a way of shutting a lot of the big shots down. And they'll finally get to the bottom of what whack job killed Casper and killed Stan the same way and cut the eyes out and did all the other grotesque things to their uh, their other appendages. Uh, and we'll get to the bottom of that. Who lives, who dies, who gets permanently changed from that? Anybody's guess. Uh but I think we'll get that kind of uh, closure. Uh, we may even get in the end, and my guess is it's going to come from Ray. You know, we'll get the Rust and Cole. Yeah, but I think the light is winning moment. You know, where he has with Marty going off in the in the wheelchair. You know, the the upbeat thing. Oh yeah. Uh, so I kind of think that's that's kind of uh, uh, probably where it's going to go, but. The you know much like season one, there's going to be a lot of threads just left unraveled there, um, because you know so much about the original mystery in season one, we still you know don't know what the hell was going there or what actually went down or who really got punished or whatever. And I think, but part of it, um, and I didn't know this until recently, uh, that Pizzolatto. Because uh, uh, my neighbor down the street has been watching it, and they've been enjoying it. They're blissfully ignorant of uh, all the things the intelligentsia, like you know us, are aware of in storytelling. <laughs> I envy them. Yeah, they're they're just enjoying the show because it's you know summertime HBO. They they enjoyed uh, True Detective last season. They're enjoying it this season. But my friend uh, down the street, he's an ex cop, and he was looking at the. Uh, uh, the setting and everything of Vinci and everything, and he's like, you know, that's the, you know, that's got the vibe of Bell Gardens down in L.A. Because he was thinking, you know, the gambling and stuff, and the crazy thing that happened in Bell Gardens a couple of years ago, where the mayor's wife shot the mayor. <laughs> you know, uh, small town uh, crises. But I started to figure out, well, it's not really like Bell Gardens. It's more like, uh, and I couldn't think of the name of the town. It turns out the town I was thinking of is really the town 
that Pizzolatto based it on, which is Vernon, which mm-hmm. is you know just just uh, just south of the East LA um, interchange. You know what I mean? The East LA interchange. Yeah, yeah. That is in Los Angeles. The big uh, Interstate Five, Interstate Ten, One Hundred One, and Sixty interchange. It's a nightmare of just <laughs> toxic shit and traffic and everything else like that. It's really beautiful in a very disgusting way. If you can. You can not be on it driving, but you can see it at a distance. Well, that's what True Detective Season 2 is all about. Like, they have yeah. all that beautiful B-roll of the really grit, like gritty, dungy city. It's great. Oh, yeah. And they're filming that just south of that interchange because that's where Vernon is. But if you look at the uh, the recent history of Vernon, this was, other than the gambling house, they don't have legalized gambling uh, there like they do in Bell Gardens. But... You know, there are only 150 residents in Vernon. I mean, it's all industrial crap. And in 2011, the state put the squeeze on them like you either fix the corruption here because the local officials were paying themselves these astronomical salaries for like part-time work, mm-hmm. you know, just extorting uh, the city and the few residents they had and everything. You either end the corruption, or we're going to like say you're not a city anymore, right? And uh, and so they cleaned up their act, and um, they've actually allowed uh, uh, Pizzolatto and his production company to shoot down there, and apparently they don't they don't mind drawing the parallels because they're you know they're all saying we're clean now, <laughs> you know just ignore that stuff uh, and please ignore you know the toxic waste that's still there. Uh, but, uh, I think what you'll do is you'll, you'll probably get some, not, I don't think we'll see the attorney general candidate or the other people of power necessarily marched off in the end, Mm -hmm. like we saw at the end of Daredevil, uh, (laughs) on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you, you, you'll see the parties end and you'll see the killer found because otherwise what was the fucking point? Well, the point right. was, especially yeah. for the second half of the season, that uh, there's so much corruption and oppression of this case from the higher-ups in both Vinci and Ventura um, police departments. So they're trying to subvert that. We get the woman who's organizing all of this. We see her once in this episode. Uh, we get her organizing this little underground group of uh, cops and ex-cops, who's not cops anymore, and they all um, – they're trying to figure out these things uh, under their radar because of all that corruption. So I feel like the point at the end, if you know, my prediction is correct, is that it's not going to matter. It's going to be like the end of American Psycho where it's like, oh, nothing really matters at all ever anymore because of how these people well, except live. Except Christian and Bale's grin. That really mattered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I feel like the at the – in the end – uh, the higher ups are still going to keep doing what they're doing, having these sex parties, doing all the cocaine, having everyone do ridiculous things in the face <laughs> They'll of. They'll just do it elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> too much toxic waste to do anything there, even party. Um, yeah. Well, you know that's the thing that uh it bugs me uh about this is you you want to. I'd, I'd like a story that, you know, sort of has a point that is not just character studies of degenerates. Yeah. Um, but actually tries to say something about the human condition, either uh, 
positively, certainly, or even negatively in a way that is uh, perceptible. And I'm not sure uh, this season of True Detective is doing that. But, you know, hey, for second seasons of television shows go, it's not too bad. Well, what's different about this, it's a completely different storyline. So we get much more of the sophomore slump because it's totally different. There's nothing to build on except a reputation. Like there's you can't bring back Rust and Cole or uh, Hart and Cole. Excuse me. Uh, you can't bring them back for a second season because um, uh, you know, that's ended. They established this going to be an anthology series. So everything that they have to do for the second, it's like having a band come out with a second album and having that be crap. All they can build on is their reputation. They can't do more of the same. They can't continue things. I feel like season two of Breaking Bad was one of the best, but that's because they were able to build on what they created in season one and have people come back and have season-long well, arcs and series-long arcs. Well, there's two reasons for that. One is that uh, the approach of the writing was very, very different. Uh, Indeed. And, and the writer's strike. Because... People don't realize that season two is actually the second half of season one, because the reason <laughs> season one of Breaking Bad is so damn short is because it it ended at a stupid place fortuitously, right? Yeah. No, it ends uh, very abruptly. Because of the, yeah, it ends very abruptly, but it it actually, in retrospect, if you have to go back in time and plan it, that's... If you were going to get screwed ending an episode, that's where you would end it, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's really, yeah. I, I don't count that as the same software season. But then again, you know, season three of Breaking Bad just was fucking awesome. And, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, they, they never had the sophomore curse. Exactly. I mean, Breaking Bad was probably the and very, wrong example because the, it was one of the best shows on TV. And you know there are other uh, there are other shows out there. I mean, season two of uh, the X Files was actually better than season one. I only wish every season after season four uh, <laughs> was watchable at all. Uh, but um, uh, you know this this happens. That's okay. No, I, I mean, and they're not going to get canceled. Oh, I mean of that's the not. other thing. No. Uh, they're not going to get canceled. I hope they don't. I hope they learn from this season so far and come up with a really great season three that avoids all these pitfalls. But if Pizzolatto keeps going in the, you know, Beatles trajectory of greatness falling into shambles of ridiculous creative differences and like poor output, then well, not that the Beatles ever had poor output. But I feel like if they if he continues on this trend of I'm going to keep doing this weird thing and make it even bigger and bigger and bigger because now I'm too big to fail because I made this beautiful season one. Season three could be crap, but I'm really hoping he learns from season two. Uh, if he's got anybody with any sense next to him uh, to have that conversation with, but uh, we'll find out. And if not, it'll be an interesting thing to dissect again, won't it? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, there you go. <laughs> We're looking forward to the future with uh, positive eyes for the rest of this season. Hopefully that it'll be more interesting on second watch, but in the meantime, I'm not having fun watching it. I'm having fun hanging out with uh, you, Phil, every week. And Don, this was a fantastic episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This was really great having you here in the Evans oh, sure. locker with us. Sure, it's a little cramped, but... Yeah, you have to follow Don's methodology. Just everybody <laughs> chill out. <laughs> Don, what do they have exactly. to do? Calm the fuck down, yes. There we go. Moral of the story. <laughs> Just... Take some Molly well, and don't actually do that. Don't actually do that. 
don't don't do that. Well, I always feel like uh, what's the lyric from uh, uh, Kurt Cobain? Uh, I, I always feel a little petulant, you know. Here I am, entertain us. You know, I always feel like kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm complaining about something that, you know, other people pour their heart and soul uh, into, and you know, it's not good enough. So I'm just yelling at my Apple TV, trying to get it to stream correctly. <laughs> Well, there's that. You should <laughs> after the show's over, you should hear me yelling at Apple Music right now. God, oh, that thing, God. Let 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 yeah. Let let's let's find find that part right here, and because I want to talk about that. Oh yeah, definitely. Phil Moselak, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, at Mose M O Z E and Don at cleverly. Wait for it, Don Milton. Ooh, very original. I'm at underscore Brian Hamilton. Tweet at any of us with any feedback you've got for the next week, your thoughts Please. on the show, uh, any sort of uh, thoughts you've got about uh, how we're doing, any pieces we've missed. If you want to contribute to the puzzle that we're trying to build on this table that's falling apart because we don't know what the hell's going on uh please uh tweet us with any sort of feedback and tips and uh inside ci tips you've got uh thank you so much for joining us on this week's uh, episode of true detective here on the tv podcast part of the incomparable network i've been brian hamilton and uh have a great week hi erica hi steven uh what are we doing here well, we're talking about a Doctor Who podcast that we do together called Lazy Doctor Who. Oh, really? What's that about? <laughs> it's where you and I watch Doctor Who from the very first episode, made in 1963, up to the present day, and then we talk about it on the podcast. What? Over 800 episodes of Doctor Who from William Hartnell to Peter Capaldi, all in one sitting? No, silly. We talk about each episode as we watch them. Or maybe we talk about a couple episodes per podcast or however many we feel like watching in a particular night. How on earth are we going to fit all of these podcasts in? Well, that is the beauty of it. We record a podcast whenever we get around to it and for however long we want to talk for. We're lazy like that. So it's a Doctor Who podcast where the hosts are kind of lazy. So Yep. Lazy Doctor Who. Find it on the Incomparable Network, on iTunes, or at LazyDoctorWho.com. Thanks for explaining that. I was feeling... Lazy? Yeah. Maybe even alive when the show came out. I wasn't alive when Twin Peaks came out. So I still watch that show. I still love it. Christ, Brian, how old are you? 21. Ah, oh, Jesus. You're younger <laughs> than my son. <laughs> And I had my son in middle age, so that shows you how goddamn old I am. So, ah, uh, God. I'm just suddenly depressed. Yeah, Don Crap's older <laughs> than most people, so you just have to, you know, you just have to keep that on, on, a, on an even it. keel. You just have to run with it, Brian. Oh, what is uh.